I'm stuck at the title of this song, Lord, as we sang it. When you walk into the room, I imagine it as I sang those words that I would never sing them the same again. Because with you in the room, the healer, the helper, the hope giver has arrived. It's not hype. It's not pep talks. It's not passionate music. It's not beautiful songs. It's the living God who created heaven and earth, who faces the difficulties that we encounter in this life and, and says, no problem, no problem. I've got this. But we're a room full of people and a gathering elsewhere today of people that not only face problems, but some are of our own making. The biggest problem of all is a finger pointed at me. And yet we just sang, we give you permission. What is that, Lord? What's that look like? Except that you're a God that says, I won't force myself on you. I want a love relationship with you, not something that you are scared to refuse or somehow forced into. So church, will you listen right now and will you lift this up to him right now with a fresh vision in your mind of him actually walking in as we worship this morning? And he doesn't go for head fakes. He's not easily fooled, so he sees the problem that you came with. And he says, I can, I can fix that. I can address that. Will you trust me to do so? And if you came in here near the end, you, you have no rope left. Will you turn to the one that says, I have I'm the resurrection and the life. He or she who believes in me will live even if they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will overcome death and never die. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for the truth of those words and the truth behind the songs we've just sang. We give you permission now to do deep things Thank you, Holy Spirit, for doing that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, before you have a seat, say hi to someone. Hi, someone. All right? Go for it. Hi. The same thing goes for you who are watching from other places. I wish you were here and part of the big group hug but it's for real, and um, you're welcome anytime. If you're far away, some of you make a habit of coming our way occasionally, and we want that to happen some more. But meanwhile, thank you for being here. And, um, and you're hearing something that was not a soundtrack of people being excited and laughing and giggling. It's real people that are happy to see each other.
and um, and we would love to see you join us as well. Kids are on their way out, um, and I'm going to say something that I always say on Sunday mornings, or usually always, and uh, you can answer too. Hello, good morning, church. All right, so hopefully you in some other place, and there are many places and people gathered today to be a part of Grace Point uh, worship, and we're glad you are. Um, I must tell you that I'm uh, thrilled beyond words to stand in front of you today and, um, and report to you that he's home. My son is home. Our son is home. And... Uh, if you had been at P PDX yesterday, you would have seen quite a scene. Um, just this side of security being called, but um, he came through the security gates. He's been in Perth, Australia for Perth and the East Coast, uh, Gold Coast, where he got his training in physical therapy. He um, has been gone from us for almost four years, and it's, uh, it's, it's cruel and unusual punishment as far as I'm concerned as a parent. Would you agree, Debbie? Um, but he's home. He's home. Uh, the interesting thing is to try to guess what time zone he was in when he walked through the security gates in Portland after 29 hours of flying home. So um, he's probably in REM sleep right now at home, but he will wake up because mama's going to cook. All right. So there we go. Um, but he will be here next Sunday, Lord willing, and I'll get to uh, introduce Trevor McCracken to y'all. It'll be great. It'll be great. So <clears throat> uh, speaking of family, we have um, every one of us, every person in this room has a heritage, a background. I didn't know what this meant. Um, by the way, I'm using a different microphone. We had some issues with the other one. If this is too loud, just kind of cringe like this, and um, I'll... I'll will be fine. Uh, I'll move the microphone away from my mouth. So, uh, But I was told when I was young, didn't understand what this meant, that um, I'm Scotch-Irish. And I thought, wow, I, I thought I was American, but I, I guess, you know, that's cool. What, what's that mean? And, and I was curious about that. So my the Scotch uh, part of that expression, Scotch-Irish, was explained to me by my um, my father using his happy humor, and he said, son, uh, do you know what, do you know how the Grand Canyon came into being? And I said, I give, Dad, how? And he dropped a nickel on the floor, and he went, a Scotchman lost a nickel. <laughs> and I understood something, even as a young boy, what that meant. That had something to do with being a tightwad. And, and the truth is, um, I live up, I live up to the frugality of that uh, expression for Scotch people um, uh, quite easily. So um, I still will stoop for a nickel. How many will do that? How many of you do it for a penny? We are loaded with Scotch people here this morning, I'm telling you. Um, so um, I like the Irish part of my heritage too. And, um, and maybe you know this, but it, um, there's lots of Irish uh, Celtic prayers and uh, one that I really like uh, uses these words. May the road rise to meet you. Some of your lips are moving right now, so we got some Irish folk here too. May the wind always be at your back, of course. May the sun shine warmth upon your face. 
That doesn't work in the winter in Oregon, I'm afraid to tell you. But anyway, um, the rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, I'd like to finish here. May God hold you in the palm of his hand. That's great. But the expression that most people remember is may the wind always be at your back. A uh, pretty good prayer, I would say. Would you say that? That's kind of cool stuff. I've heard it expressed in a wedding and even at a rehearsal for the bride and groom um, of a wedding. It was kind of uh, spoken from memory. I had to look at notes for it. But, um, and, and the thought is, that's, I mean, that's cool Irish stuff. And to think, if you're not Irish, all, some of you think all Irish people are good at is the river dance. <laughs> and, and we are. We're really good at that. But, okay. So I've got you warmed up here, right? That's good. Uh, last week, let me take you there quickly. Last week, we uh, followed the Apostle Paul in, um, in the book of Acts. And the lights are going to come up slightly, so some of you that have your Bibles out, you can find your way to chapter 16 of Acts in the New Testament. It's known in most Bibles as Acts of the Apostles. And we have very respectfully um, changed uh, an expression. We still believe it's what, what our Bibles say, Acts of the Apostles. But you don't have to even do a close look to see that it's also Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because they're on every page. Because, in fact, the Holy Spirit came and, and from Acts chapter 2... As promised by Jesus in Acts chapter 1, the Holy Spirit would come and you'd receive power and you'd be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. All because the Holy Spirit comes to live inside. And the rest of the 28 chapters of Acts is one glorious picture, profoundly uh, shaped by the Spirit of God. So that's why we use that expression. But chapter 16 here, um, Paul, and, uh, and the, he was an apostle. Yeah, I'm saying this to you in, in great respect if you're brand new to the Bible. Because this is Greek to you. <laughs> Pardon the expression, but half the Bible was in Greek. So um, it is. It's hard to get. So just a quick little point of reference. And maybe... Um, It'll help you kind of go, wow, I can, I can actually open Acts. I don't have a page number. If somebody has the Bible that's in the chair rack near you, call it out. I don't mind that. 771, okay, if you're in the house. If you have an app on your phone, that's cool too. But here's the deal. He's with his teammates. They're on a missions trip, the second of four. On this missions trip, he, Paul, is with Silas and Timothy and Luke joined them recently. We get that because the pronoun changed from they and them to we. And we know Luke was the author or the writer, actually, the recorder of these events. So there, um, we, we, we talked about this in depth last week, just a point of connection as we move on, that they were working hard at finding a way around a roadblock. We called it last week dead ends. And no one had a hard time relating to dead ends. Um, so 
in that study, we concluded something that was a good takeaway, and that is that obstacles we sometimes encounter that seem to us like a dead end. Uh, there is no other way around. We discover, because of the Holy Spirit, that he was working even through dead ends to take us in a different direction, in some case, a completely 180 different direction that would bring glory to him and bring good to us. That's a kind of a tandem promise I think the Bible presents, in case you didn't know. That when God has his way in our lives, two great things happen. Did you hear me? When God has his way in your life and mine, two really amazing things happen. It brings glory to him, flip the coin, the backside of that, and it brings good to us. Put that in your notes someplace, because it's, it's kind of that, how, how can you pull this off? It's for those that think, well, you know, some situations really do good things for God, but, but not for us. No, those that belong to him can claim both. When he directs us his way, it will bring glory to him, as we're going to see now this morning, and it will be good uh, for us. So well, that, that was the case one night when the Holy Spirit, early on this missions trip, gave Paul a vision of a place and of people who were hungry for the gospel. So chapter 16, I'm looking at verse 7. Um, let me get my glasses on here real quick. So... Um, <clears throat> Chapter 16, I'm going to find it, folks. Bear with me. Okay. When they came to the border of Mysia, they're on this trip. They're traveling along, heading west and north. They tried to enter Bithynia. We read this, but the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, would not allow them to do so. Oh, that's okay. We'll go around. Well, read on. They passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Uh, but before that, verse 7, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter the border of Mysia, tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of God said, nah. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas, a coastal city, a port city on the east side of the present-day Aegean Sea. You can go there. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come on over, guys, begging them to come to Macedonia, and notice the words in verse 9, to help us. So there's something good that's going to come there. You get it, a hint of that in the words, come and help us. Well, Paul woke up after seeing that vision, and they got ready at once. It's the first time you see the word we. That's the pronoun change I mentioned. They got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. That's to uh, head east, or head, head west, rather. Uh, it's Greek, or Greece we would say today, and concluded that God had called them to preach the gospel to them. Now, that's all last week. With wind at their backs, verse 11. From Troas, the port city, we put out to sea. So they boarded a ship and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day we went on to Neapolis. You get it with the Neapolis and all those kinds of words sound very Greek, aren't they? 
And that's, in fact, true. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. Look at verse 13. On the Sabbath, which would be Saturday, sunset Friday to sunset Saturday, we went outside the city of Philippi to the, the, the city gate, uh, outside the city gate, rather, to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. Her words now, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. All right. Let's, let's catch all that up and make sure we get what's going on here. Because they are traveling from Troas on the, to the northwest port of the Aegean Sea. So they start on the east side and they head not only north but west to this port city of Neapolis. Neapolis is where you get off your boat and then... To go to a city like Philippi, you walk. That was the predominant method of travel, and you walk 10 miles. So it's not right on the coast, but it's just slightly inland. And Philippi, you come to Philippi, which is a small yet significant city due to its status. It was a, uh, it was a leading city of the Roman uh, Empire. It was a colony of the Roman Empire. And it was positioned in such a way that it was a thoroughfare. That means uh, that's kind of the main way to go from Portland to Eugene is I-5 here in Oregon. You can go other ways, but it'll take you longer. And um, you may or may not get there, okay? Uh, most people would, but it would take for sure a lot longer. So they come here on the Sabbath and Team Paul would usually, as his practice, chapter 17 tells us in verse 2, the practice was to go to the synagogue and to share the law the people, with the people of, uh, of the synagogue. They would do that partly because, remember, Paul's a, Paul's a missionary to the Gentiles. But he would go to the synagogue, Jewish gathering, and he would do so to show good favor to build bridges to the local Jews in whatever city it happens to be. But his primary mission is Gentiles, non-Jewish people. So um, they come here on the Sabbath, and in Philippi, they discover something that um, there was no synagogue. That meant that they had to go outside of the city to a gathering where they Presumed, it's kind of a logical assumption. When you go to a movie theater, you logically assume what? There's going to be a movie, and what else do they have at the snack bar? Popcorn. Everybody says popcorn. It's pretty normal. It's disgusting, but it's normal, okay? Um, we get what that is. So Paul and team, they, go, they don't go to a synagogue because there isn't one. 
And they come, and we get a little hint of uh, why there wasn't one. Most people draw the conclusion there wasn't one because they come to this place of prayer, and it would be by a river, and it's made up of women. There's no mention of men in this gathering. By the way, it requires 10 men to actually operate or have a synagogue. So we're not sure. I'm just conjecture. But maybe there weren't that many men in the town. That's not completely like logical. Or there weren't enough Jewish men with a commitment that says, I do synagogue and it's part of my routine. In either case, we come back to the story um, and they are there uh, with women, we're told, at this place outside the city. And among the women that they encounter is a successful businesswoman named Lydia. Now, we're told a couple of things right away. She was described as a worshiper of God. So there's some kind of spiritual compass in her life. That's verse 14. But notice she responded, verse 13, to the Apostle Paul's preaching. And the Lord moved in her heart from there. It's how it works, folks. The word of God is described as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Hebrews 4.12 tells us. Uh, it works inside those who believe, 1 Thessalonians 2.13 tells us. This same thing was happening here. Paul had the microphone, if you will, and he was sharing the word of God. And the response in Lydia was to believe what he had said and, um, and, and, and respond. And, and the Holy Spirit used that to, verse 14 tells us, to open her heart. As a result, you say, how do you know all that? Well, look at the results of that, and you will see, verse 15, she and her household, the other members of her household, are baptized, a distinct display of a changed heart. Can I say something right now? That some of you um, have met Jesus recently. Some of you in this gathering. And some of you who are watching from other places. And you've met Jesus and you're saying, man, I want to I go out. I want to be known. I want it to be radiant from my life. One of the very first things you can do, because the Bible prescribes it, is to be baptized. So you can, by being baptized, display that something has happened in your life. And indeed, something had happened in Lydia's life. Uh, don't miss something, and it's just in passing, but notice how verse 15 ends, that she... She persuaded us to come to her house. If you pulled apart that word in Greek, it um, gives you a little insight into her. Persuaded means to prevail. It means to persist and persist and persist. You would expect that from a wealthy, successful businessman or woman, right? So here's Lydia saying, come, come. Come, if you please come and stay at my house. And the word literally means to be overcome by the persuasion. Well, that's who this person is, Lydia. So um, I want to just stop and say something about what I'm calling attention to in her life. 
She gets baptized in response to the message she heard. Thomas Jefferson is Washington Adams, third president of the United States. And he made a statement that applies to her and to a lot of other people. When the heart is right, the feet are swift. That's what he said. He's a president. He's not a prophet or a priest or a pastor. Lydia's heart was changed. And baptism and hospitality flowed from this woman's heart who had been touched by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that great? So she's making fortunes. She's down by the river. She's got a heart for God. That means she's interested in spiritual things. And then she hears some dot-connecting truth from Paul, and her heart was touched by the Holy Spirit through his word. And as a result of that, you see this, this uh, oh, please come stay with us. Please, I want to be baptized. I want you to stay with us. I'll feed you. We'll house you. That's, that's when the heart is right. The feet are swift. There's no, there's no pause in between here. So let me ask you the obvious takeaway. Has your heart been changed by Jesus? And I don't just, I don't just mean recently. I'm talking at any point in time. If it has, then there's, I think, an appropriate expectation that your feet would be swift. Maybe they were at one time, but they're not, not so much today. So if your heart's been changed, what, what habits of your old heart have been changed? That's really the question I'm asking. And it, and it could be a whole bunch of things. You, you have different relationships now. You're interested in purity. You don't watch the filth you used to watch. Uh, here's one for you. Um, you used to have a potty mouth. Know somebody like that? Or yourself? Um, but somehow it doesn't seem right anymore. I know you work, you know, I was a teamster once, okay? I was. And of course, I was a seminary student too, so I had a real conflict on my hands. You know, am I going to talk, you know, one way or the other? And I'm not dissing on Teamsters. I had the, some of my great early friends were Teamsters. And they couldn't believe it at the first wedding I did, and it's full of Teamsters in the crowd. And one of them's watching right now in Southern California, Miles. And, uh, but, but they were just like, What's he doing up there? You know, it was like, he's one of the bros here, you know. And, and, but, but I say this because um, I'm getting carried away, and it has no relevance on the word of God today. <laughs> um, no, here's why I say it. Matthew 12, 34 says, out of the mouth flows that which fills the heart. So if your heart is right... And you had potty mouth. See the obvious alternate conclusion? You clean up your talk. I don't care if you're a teamster or a plumber or a housewife, homemaker, uh, whoever, teenager. Stop it. Don't try to stop it on your own because you'll fumble badly and you'll cuss. It won't be good. Okay. So let the Holy Spirit touch your heart, and the rest is going to, in a whole bunch of other areas. 
Um, so maybe it's generosity for you. I could go on and on, but I, there's more passage here. So maybe it's generosity. You've got money, and you haven't come to the early conclusion that it's not yours. 100% of what you have is his. If his heart's, if your heart's right, and then that means he gets to say what he wants you to do with it. Some of you are amazing at that. You really get that. Uh, somebody said, famous guy, forget who, somebody can help me. Um, he, got, he got baptized twice, and people went, why'd you do that? He says, well, the first time was my heart. The second time was my wallet. And it showed. It showed. When the heart is right, the feet are swift. So um, this first conversion in Philippi must have left Paul ecstatic and the team, Right? Wow, look at what's happening here. Imagine the possibilities was likely the tone of their conversation. It, oh, let's just stay forever. This is so cool. She's, she's going to make it, you know, and they get this excitement going. And, um, and it must have just stirred big in their hearts. Um, then a day came. When they went to that same prayer gathering outside the city, remember, no synagogue. Um, and I'm guessing as they approached, they see a gathering of ladies, and they're, they're, they're excited. They're just like they were before, and they're anticipating. And in fact, sure enough, they're met by another young lady. Pick up with me in verse 16. Once, when they were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God. Who are, who are, who are telling you the way to be saved? Actually, that's mid-quote. So, who are telling you the way to be saved? So, imagine somebody walking along with the four of them, announcing as she points at them, these men belong to God and they're telling you the truth, the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days and finally Paul became so ticked, annoyed, that he turned around and said to the spirit, not to the lady, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Whoa. We're not told her name, but we learn much about her. She is a slave girl. That means she's owned. And we're told who she's owned by, some greedy owners. She's a cash cow, we could say crudely today. She's a producer. They were thrilled to have her in their employment, though it's not employment as you and I know. We know, secondly, from what we just read, she was possessed by a spirit that gave her the, the ability to predict the future. If you have the New American Standard Bible, it renders it spirit of divination. It was a demon spirit. This wasn't a happy Holy Spirit, anything close to that. It's the opposite. She possessed this, or was rather possessed by this spirit. 
And you can imagine, if I told you right now, I could promise you how the market is going to go tomorrow. There would be a lineup longer, and it would last through the day. You tell your friends, he guarantees it, 100%. And I didn't even tell you the whole market. I just told you how one of your stocks is going to do tomorrow. You would, you would do whatever you could. That, that, that information is incredibly powerful. So naturally, there's a line of people waiting to talk to this lady. And you could hear the cash register. And her owners loved it. There's this strategy. I want you to understand this because I had to take this in a while to get it myself. The strategy of this demon um, in this slave girl was cunning. It's a good word. Full of sneaky deceit. And here's how it is. On the surface, I read it already and you did too. She's saying the truth. Verse 17, right? That's true stuff. These guys belong to God, and they're telling you how to know God. Let her talk. Let her talk. And that sounds perfect, except for the fact Paul's reaction tells us there's a dark side going on here. Don't be deceived by verse 17. Realize something deeper going on in verse 17, and here it is. Um, and Paul, by the way, was neither fooled nor fearful by this presence of this demon operating in this young girl. She says what she says, um, that there is a way to God, and these guys know that way. Um, this demon spirit... Sorry, there's a little commotion out back, so I'm just uh, trying to gather myself. All right, we're good. So um, the Apostle Paul says something to her. Don't be fooled by her. Don't be fooled by the demon in her. Um, And he commands the spirit to depart, verse 18. And notice it did. Okay? So he sees something. The Holy Spirit gave him insight too, and the result of that was that not only did this demon without protest or resistance leave, but the potential for her to earn income for her owners left with it. Um, Here's some insight that will help you a little bit. Uh, Swindoll writes this, confronted by the rival By arrival, the demon could not defeat that lived in this young lady. It cleverly exalted the girl's position by having her assume the role of community advisor. I, your trusted seer, the woman could say with this demon operating in her, give my approval to these men. And she did, verse 17. The demon probably hoped to secure enough goodwill to avoid the confrontation that did, in fact, happen and instead ride on the coattails of Christianity. That's what I mean by cunning. They offer a way of salvation, she said. I offer a way of salvation, and therefore we walk together in the same salvation business, end quote. You have to stay with that a minute and realize 
we're on two totally different pages. This isn't uh, two people on the same team. And the, de the demon may have left this slave girl, um, but her masters were lit up. And uh, what we read next is, well, it, it moves into warp speed. Look at verse 19 and see how it rolls. When her owners realized their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Paul and Silas were now in prison. Not sure why Timothy and Luke aren't mentioned, but presumably they watched it happen and weren't drawn into the middle of it. Whatever the case, the slave girl's masters did maybe what we could call a citizen's arrest, but with no due process and no proper treatment, you could hardly call that a citizen's arrest. They dragged them into the public square to face their accusers. Which charges would be made would be the question. Because a judge is supposed to stand in judgment on such a question. What are you here for? Why did, why did you get arrested? Well, we helped a slave girl get free. That's not exactly a cause for incarceration, is it? And so, and so the owners cook up false charges, verses 20 to 21, accusing Paul and his crew of, of being dangerous, dangerous people that could incite a riot, throwing our city into an uproar, verse 20 says. Really? I mean, think about it. Surely a judge is going to sort this out and set them free. Now I want you to stop right now and look back at verses 21 and 22. Um, there's no missing information between verse 21 and 22. None. I tell you that because the magistrate, without consideration of a defense or the presentation of evidence or testimony by witnesses or cross-examination, look at this. He stripped them, ordered them stripped and beaten with rods, and after they were severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and put under double lockdown. Talk about cringeworthy. I read that and I just think, you're kidding me. I, barbaric behavior. This is the kind of behavior that you expect of terrorists. So let's get this straight. Um, they are in prison, beaten and bloody, 
at the very least, we have to say that the, that the time did not fit the so-called crime. Got it? They helped. And they get beaten and whipped and flogged and thrown into the inner part, the solitary part, if you will, the very secure part of this prison and even put in stocks. Uh, um, I just got to tell you my first re reaction. I tried to read it in different ways this week to experience it again. And my reaction was I wanted to scream. I just thought, are you kidding me? This is outrageous. I, I can't believe this is going on. I wanted to scream. And it turns out Paul and Silas, they wanted to sing. I mean, seriously, they're, they're in there. We cannot conceive of a more disgusting place to be held. No representation, no one phone call, none of that. And they want to sing. I, I'm not making this stuff up. You, you have to read verse 25 around midnight. So it's the middle of the night. Maybe some of the blood is drying on them. Dirt floors. Paul and Silas were praying singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them, I'll say. Can you imagine? Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all of the prison doors flew open. Imagine all the cells just wide open. And everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. That says a lot. And when he saw the prisoners, the prison door open and the prisoners, whoa, what? They're loose. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. By the way, it's pitch black in there. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. So stop for a sec. Um, we have here a prison break turned into a praise service. It's, it's, they don't go together. They, they are weird. They are strange friends. They're bloodied. They're bruised, wrongly accused. Most people at this moment, and I did in my study this week, would, would scream loudly, I'm an American. And I would want everybody to know that. I'm an American. Maybe some would, in this situation, they would, they, would, they would mention revenge. When I get out of here, you're going to pay for this. I, I don't know. I don't know how far it went. But that didn't come out of their mouth. Nor did they curse God for letting this happen. God, let me review the notes here quickly. We did good things, and we got this for doing it. You ever felt that way? There's no hiding it. They held this worship service instead in the prison. That's, that's, that's significant in the middle of the night. And they're in the presence of other prisoners who are there with them for different charges, presumably. And if you, in case you wondered what I was wondering, where is God in all of this? And I did wonder that. It's my favorite part of this whole story. He was the percussionist in this praise party. 
Where is Randy? He's banging that drum. I almost had you get up here and do it again, but stay right there, bro. It's okay. So he's the percussionist, right? It's, that's what verse 26 is saying. Suddenly there was a... No one, you can't make up earthquakes. That's no human cause. And the timing of it tells us it's straight from heaven. It, it was used to open the gates and all that, but this loud, thunderous earthquake says a lot about God. I am right here in the middle of this. Present and, yes, accounted for. Amazing. Now, if you're still with them, if you're still here in this moment, at that moment, the doors of the prison fly open. And, and think about what you would say or think what you would feel if it, your cell just opened. You would, you would think, run for your lives. It's my big chance. Get out of here. Get out while you can. You might have even in that moment seen him draw his sword thinking, okay, okay, maybe the opposite. Stay put. Don't move. Um, or maybe with all the other cells open, and we're not told how many prisoners, but others, let's get him. There's only one of him, and he's still half asleep, right? We could pounce on him and take care of him. Verse 29, the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They re replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the heart was right. Look how the verse ends. The feet were fast. The jailer took them, washed their wounds. Then immediately him and all his household were what? Baptized. His heart had been changed in that jail. The jailer brought them out into his house and set a meal before them, hospitality. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Folks, we've gone from beaten and bloodied and left to rot in a jail, no due process, to this incredible prayer and praise service that has now become an evangelistic outreach. It's all happening right here, all in the middle of the night. I want you to see verse 30. Look at, again at the jailer's own words because they matter to us today. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I think people tend to overthink that most basic question. I've, I've tried to illustrate and punctuate and, and sort of dramatize the scene that night. He screamed, what, what do I have to do to save my life to, to be saved? It's a moment where it's filled with energy. But at the core of it is a, is a simple plea that it, that matters 
for any person in trouble. However you analyze this, the jailer asked the only question that matters when you realize you're in a desperate situation where your, your very survival is in question. That's how I see his question in verse 30. The apostle's answer, verse 31, was as simple as the jailer's question. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be changed. You will be saved. And it will not just stay with you, it will impact your people. <laughs> your wife, your kids, whoever else is close to you going to change their lives because of what happened to you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's a wonderful statement. It reminds me, it's said all over the Bible, Romans 10 verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not complicated. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be sent to Sunday school class to learn some verses. And no, that's all great stuff, but that's not necessary for salvation. You just got to cry out to the Lord. You just have to call upon the name of the Lord, Romans 10, 13, and you'll be saved. One of my favorite uh, ways this is put, do you remember a man, we never told his name, but he hung from a cross next to Jesus. There were two of them, but he happened to be the one who hung there and said, you know something? I deserve, I'm dying and I deserve it. This is punishment that I'm receiving for the crimes I committed. And he looks to Jesus on the cross next to him and says, but that doesn't apply to you. That's not true of you, Jesus. You don't belong here. I deserve to die. And then he said this to Jesus. So Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's all the man said. And Jesus responded to him. This very day you will be with me in paradise. You have experienced salvation for your soul. In that moment. Uh, my favorite, though, by far, in the New Testament, and I, it shows by how many times I share it with people, two guys come into church. This is not a joke. <laughs> um, two guys come into church. One guy, uh, let me just say he had his act together. Keyword there, act. Okay. They both come into church. We're told in Luke 18. He comes into church. He's got his act together. And if you read it yourself, hopefully you'll read Luke 23 and um, or uh, Luke 18. You'll read it and you'll see some of what he said about himself. It's kind of nauseating, but he bangs his own chest and you know, you know. My apologies to the NFL, though they're not deserved. I'm I'm the I'm the guy. I'm the man. You know, I did that. I caught that ball and made $300 million doing it. But 
Um, this man, this man came into church, beating his chest, making a loud announcement to all they could hear. I'm a pretty good dude. I'm exemplary. I got, I got it going. I'm, I'm living the dream, baby. And everybody was watching him and sort of blown back in their seats by him. And then the narrative that Jesus taught points to a man sitting over in the corner, face to the floor. We're told not even willing to look up. He was so broken. And he only spoke seven words. God, have mercy on me, the sinner. And Jesus made a big deal of that, saying of those two guys, they came to church that day. Only one of them left forgiven, justified, declared righteous with a permanent home in heaven. Not because of him. He was a mess. But because of me, I saw a broken man that says quite appropriately, have mercy on me, God. I'm a sinner. And can I, can I speed that forward to right now? The same thing happens to people who are in trouble today. Are you hearing this? No matter where you are, call out to Jesus. Have mercy on me, the sinner. That'll do it. That'll do it. And 100% of the people who do that leave that day, that moment changed inside their heart has been changed in the miracle of the moment because of what Jesus did in here the middle of the night um, I want to stay with this another three minutes or four and we're done because I'm 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 worried about something when I preach this passage they, they you're gonna fold your Bible and you're going to walk out of here and say something like, this is, that's a really good for him story. You know, and it is good for him. It really is. I mean, that jailer, he had no idea that everything was going to change that day. Um, but it is good for him. I want you to make it your story or the story of, for somebody you know who's in a spot, who's in terrible trouble today. Because um, broken people, broken people with no hope um, that things are going to get better in their life. You know somebody like that? I know somebody in this room, some people in this room like that. In fact, if we're all honest, at some level, we're all that. Right? We're in trouble. We're in deep soup, deep weeds whatever you want to say about it. And it's not, we're not going to get better. We turn somehow in that moment. And we sounded pathetically needy. Good for you. God have mercy on me, the sinner. And, and maybe you're that guy right now. You haven't even done that yet. Maybe if you're watching or you're in here and you're hearing this, please get this. Maybe you're actually at the end of your rope. 
You're thinking what this jailer, what we're told, he draws a sword, he's going to kill himself. Why would you do that except there's no way out of this? I know all the history of the times that, you know, if you're a jailer, you let the prisoners go, you die a terrible death. And that's all true. But at the core of that is you're in a bad spot. And you're going you're gonna to pay with your life for that spot. If that's you right now, would you please cry out for his mercy? If you're here right now and you've cried out for his mercy in your life, you've got it. If you think of somebody that's in this spot, the jailer's spot, you need to pray for them today. We're going to do that in a moment. And make this the day that God moves big in their lives. And you know what? It happened from the darkness of that moment for the jailer. And the despair of that moment to life, to forgiveness that he experienced. Um, is the jailer you, I guess, is my question. Uh, someone you love. Um, I want to be very sensitive in saying this. They're teetering. You know it. They're stepping back from you. They're pulling away. They're not answering your phone calls. Uh, you go to their house and knock on their door. You see a car out there, maybe not, but they're not, they're not responding. You, you see something going on. Um, um, I just feel the need to tell you this. If you know somebody like that right now, I'm not, I'm not teasing. This is not a joke. Uh, you need to dial 988. There's a number for you to call. If you're the jailer, but your jail, your, jail, your prison is your sin, a problem no one really knows the full extent of yet, but you know it, and you know there's no fixing it. And your conclusion is, I'm going to kill myself. If you're that person, you know somebody like that, please urge them to call 988. Any cell phone, any, you can go online. Go to 988. You will have 24-7 crisis response that, that wants to help you find another way. It's true anywhere in America. I'd like you to bow your heads with me, if you would. Um... Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Harming yourself will not help you. It will not. Jesus Christ will help you. He will give you hope. Ah. Uh, He makes promises to you that he will keep. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And you will find rest for your soul for my yoke is easy and my load is light 
spoken by a God that knows you. He made you. And he knows the feeling of despair. And he wants to help you. Oh, in this moment for sure. But way beyond this moment. He wants you to live. To truly live because he's the life giver. The jailer's joy happened that moment. And, and let's be honest, his problems didn't go away. But he had Jesus. And his joy would start that day. Meanwhile, Lord, we come to you wanting to be as Paul and Silas were in that moment that night. To be ones that praise you um, before things get fixed. Help us to not just sing this song, but to really pray it. I'll praise you before my breakthrough till my song becomes my triumph. I will sing because I trust you. I will bring my heart. I will lift my song to you. Because he who came in power, he will come again. He who heals the sick, won't he move again? He who raised the dead, won't he raise again? If while we're singing you want to talk to somebody, you can come forward and just kneel at the, at the front steps here. I'll stay here. We'll just come to God. Remember the simple prayer. God, have mercy on me, the sinner. That's where it all starts. Let's respond in song. Let's do it with everybody on their feet.